Hello and welcome to Nudge, the only podcast dedicated to consumer psychology and behavioural science. The podcast is here to give marketers, salespeople and essentially anybody who needs to convince for a living tips on how to influence people using nudges. To start, I'd like to ask for a small favour. The podcast is less than six months old and I'm still trying my best to grow the audience. So if you like the pod and listen regularly, why not help us out with a review on Apple Podcasts or by sharing the podcast with some workmates who you think might enjoy it. Anyway, today I'm joined again by Joseph Marks. Joseph is doctoral researcher at University College London and a visiting researcher at the Massachusetts Institute of Tech. He's an expert in behaviour science and his work's been published in the New York Times, Guardian and in Harvard Business Review. In our last episode, I asked Joseph to talk through what makes a person more convincing. We spoke about how those who have dominance, beauty, social economic class and competence will nudge others to comply with their requests. But those factors can't really be changed. We're either born tall or not, and we might be lucky enough to look attractive, we can't really change our appearance. Today, Joseph will talk through some of the characteristics that all of us can adopt to influence others. Then, we'll speak to Steve Rayson, who knows a thing or two about influencing. He grew a multi-million pound company using an influencer marketing strategy. We'll find out how later on. To start with, I asked Joseph to explain how warmth shown by one person to another can greatly influence them, even in negotiations that are typically hostile, like terrorist interrogations. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. The warm messenger typically is, is uh, characterized by caring about their audience's welfare or others' welfare. And they want to essentially cooperate rather than compete with other people. And these kind of displays of warmth that you can give have a transformative effect on others. Even in situations where traditionally a more hard-nosed style has been favoured. So, for example, in investigative interrogations, the, the kind of accusatorial approach 
that has long been considered a staple is, is seen as kind of the right way to go. The standard view being that to gain information, the interviewer should charge the, the accused with repeated accusations of guilt and claim that there's mounting evidence against them and make them essentially scared uh, of, of what's going to happen unless they speak. But such approaches can backfire. Um, and a careful examination of 181 interrogations that included those of Al-Qaeda-inspired suspects and paramilitary activists and right-wing terrorists found that interviewees who experienced respect, dignity, and integrity from their interviewers were much less likely to employ what are known as counter-interrogation tactics. So that's kind of retraction and silence. And, you know, it's fascinating that essentially being warm can have such a strong effect in even these situations where we don't typically think the warm messenger would be well suited. Showing warmth in interrogations dramatically improved the results. I'd argue that this shouldn't surprise us, however, it's a good reminder that being nice to people is generally a very good idea. In fact, studies with schizophrenia patients showed that when psychologists showed a genuine warmth and care for their patients, their well-being increased dramatically, going some way to heavily lessen the problems caused by their mental disorder. But what does warmth actually look like? I asked Joseph to explain. Essentially, warm messengers signal their warmth by expressing positivity and using warm language to help smooth their social interactions. There's a reason why we do it. One study, for example, found that dominant-sounding doctors were more than twice as likely to be sued for malpractice than an equally competent group of doctors who simply used a warmer tone of voice. Others showed that Waiters receive bigger tips after approving of diners' choices, as the hairstylists who compliment their customers by saying, any hairstyle would look good on you. Another study found that in the workplace, people are relatively receptive to requests from others who ask for help. And in this particular study, roughly 50% of employees were willing to assist a colleague at work. But the researchers found that if the requester first paid them a compliment before asking for help, the likelihood of their colleagues saying yes increased to 79%. So that's a huge effect by essentially a simple display of warmth. Warmth is proven to increase the amount of tips you'll get, to decrease the amount doctors will get sued, and to get your colleagues to help you out at work. The reason people are attracted towards warmth is because it makes someone seem genuine and trustworthy. And another soft characteristic trait that signals this is vulnerability. If we show we're vulnerable, we're more likely to be seen as likeable. A study in Joseph's book revealed how sharing vulnerability can help if you're late for a flight. In one scenario, passengers that were acting late for their flight asked other passengers if they could skip to the front of the security line to make it. Most passengers said no. However, when the late passenger offered others money, for example $50 to skip to the front of the queue, other passengers always complied. What's interesting, though, is that nobody took the money. Instead, showing that you were willing to give such a large amount signalled your vulnerability and convinced others to let you through. Deep down, we know that showing warmth and vulnerability is a good thing, and we'll often go out of our way to make sure other people think we're warm, even if that means sacrificing something we like. And, and one good example that we talk about is um, a study by Erez Yoeli and colleagues who was working with a major 
electric utility company in California. Um, and they were testing whether it was possible to increase the number of households who would sign up to a voluntary demand response energy program, um, which was an initiative designed to reduce the risk of blackouts and environmental damage by restricting access to energy during peak periods of demand. So the public benefit of this is obvious, you know, but there's a personal cost to individuals. They sign up because they're going to have reduced access to air conditioning on extremely hot days. So what, what the researchers cleverly did was change the way that people would sign up for the program. And one group of you know, homeowners would receive letters containing a unique code that they could write on a board that was put up in a communal area in the, in the building to indicate that they wanted to sign up for the scheme. While another group uh, received letters that asked them to write their name and flat number on the communal board if they wanted to be involved. So essentially, one scheme was anonymous and the other was public. So people would see who was kind of signing up to this uh, pro-social thing. And those in the public condition could therefore signal their warmth by signing up to the scheme and, and essentially also risk being seen as uncaring if they didn't. And in the end, Erez and the team found that three times as many residents signed up if they had to put their name and flat number on the board to sign up rather than if they just put an unidentifiable kind of unique code. In the study, participants were three times more likely to sign up when they had to publicly declare their intentions. Clearly, we want to show others our warmth and goodwill, and charities and public organisations can use this to their advantage. It's vital that charities give their donors a chance to publicise their contribution. Now, it might seem narcissistic, but it's a surefire way to increase donations. Another influential soft characteristic Joseph mentions in his book is charisma. Now, charisma is many things, but one thing that is part of it is the use of hand gestures. Someone who is charismatic is far more likely to use her hands to physically display her points. Interestingly, this correlates with messenger effectiveness. Van Edwards analysed thousands of TED Talks using a crowdsourced team to help discover what verbal and nonverbal patterns led to successful talks. There was one factor that heavily correlated. Those who used twice as many hand gestures, around 465 hand gestures compared to 272 in an average 18-minute talk, were far more likely to have received more views and thus far more likely to have given the successful talks. Less animated, more stifled speakers simply didn't get listened to. What's interesting, though, is how the halo effect applies to these messenger characteristics. So if we have one, people will often assume that we have far more. You know, what I, what I find kind of particularly fascinating about these messenger traits is that if you have one, then often people will perceive that you have another one. So um, if you're seen as kind of uh, attractive, then people often infer that you're also very trustworthy or sociable or extroverted uh, or intelligent or charismatic. These are kind of all, all been shown in research. And this means that we're happy to take the advice of someone, even if the advice has very little to do with their area of expertise. This is measurable in the world of politics. In 2007, Oprah Winfrey endorsed Barack Obama during an interview on CNN. This won him an additional one million voters, even though she's not in the area of politics. While in 2018, a Taylor Swift Instagram post about the midterm election encouraged 212,000 new voters to register overnight. 
These people aren't experts in politics, but they were likeable and trustworthy, and thus convinced others to change their behaviour. This leads me nicely on to our next guest. He's built a business by using this phenomenon, creating a product that draws in hundreds of thousands of users simply by following a good influencer marketing strategy. The business he started is called BuzzSumo. It's a web-based software product directed at marketers that reveals the most shared content online. I asked the founder, Steve Rayson, to explain it. BuzzSumo is a tool we designed for content marketers, and it's quite simple. It's a bit like a Google search engine, except rather than finding authoritative content, it's finding content that's got a lot of engagement. So content that's done well on Reddit or on on Facebook or on Twitter, for example. So what content are your peers sharing today? What content was published two or three days ago that's getting traction in your industry? So it's just to help people find that type of content, content that was gaining engagement, really. When Steve started this company, he didn't have spare cash to invest in advertising. So instead, he decided the most effective, yet cheapest way to raise awareness was by using influencer marketing. When we started, we had very little money. So we were literally a startup, the three of us. We didn't have, we didn't take any external funding. So what we wanted is to grow awareness, really. And there are different ways of doing that. But we didn't spend money on advertising. We didn't spend a dollar on advertising. So we did a number of things. The first thing we did was we made the tool free while it was in beta. But the other way we decided to promote it was really to try to get the influencers in the industry to talk about it uh, and get people to recommend it. We did something really quite simple. I mean, we identified 20 people in the industry that we thought content marketers respected, the content marketers would trust, for example. So we initially tried to identify who are the people that, that they respect, really. And I think that's a problem for influencer marketing sometimes. People sometimes go for somebody who's got lots of followers, and that isn't necessarily an influencer in your space. If they've got a million followers, that's great, but you really want somebody who's got an engaged audience in an area that matters to you. So for us, we were just looking for people who had engagement with content marketers, which is quite a small group relatively. So an influencer might only have three or 4,000 followers, but if they're really engaged, that's great for us. To grow this business, Steve didn't invest thousands of pounds into a Facebook post or an AdWords campaign, or even in more traditional efforts. He discovered 20 influencers who his target audience respected and tried to get in touch with them. Some of us might not consider this strategy, perhaps thinking that a handful of small influencers won't ever change the behaviours of an audience. But research cited in Messengers suggests otherwise. In 2017, 300,000 Twitter users were analysed to see where they developed new beliefs and opinions from. Interestingly, people didn't get their beliefs or opinions from large organisations or ads, but instead from certain types of messengers. As Steve says, these messengers didn't need to be huge celebrities, just trusted figures within the industry. I asked Steve to explain how he started to build relationships with these people and how he convinced them to promote BuzzSumo. Social media marketing was a new area for me, so we identified them by doing desk research, really. And then we just got to know them, really. We did simple things. We tweeted and shared their content. We wrote them saying how much we liked them. If they had comments on their blogs, we commented on their blogs, etc. I wrote to them saying, we've got loads of data, loads of really good data. Is there anything that you'd like if we could help you? And so we started from that position. I think you always start from this position of 
how can you help them? You can't start your influencer marketing campaign from how can they help you? You have to really start with saying, yeah, how can we help you? So, so I literally would say, you know, I've got loads of data. Oh, by the way, here's a free version of Bursumo. Try it out. You might like it, etc. cetera. Um, I tried to meet them physically. I'm still, I like online connections, but I think you still need to meet people physically. So I went to the events they were talking at. I didn't go to the events for the events, really. I went, so I would go and listen to a speaker. I'd sit in on their session, and at the very end of the session, I'd go up to them at the end, as you do. You go up to them, and I'd say, hi, I'm Steve. You might recall I sent you some mail or some data, uh, et cetera, and had a chat to them. And so I would meet them physically. And so I'd say of those 20, we probably got 12 to 14 who actually became advocates for the tool. Um, but we did it in that old-fashioned way, and I think it's about building relationships, so it takes time. But we would probably spend at least six months before they did anything for us, really. I remember, you know, um, one person who's quite big in the SEO space, a guy called Rand Fishkin. You know, I mailed him saying, we have all this data. Is there anything you'd be interested in? He said, I'd be really interested. Is there a correlation between shares and links? You know, so if an article gets lots of links, does it also get lots of shares? So I said, well, I'll research it. And so I spent a couple of months doing a big research project, a proper sort of academic research project, and shared the data. He gave me a lot of their link data from mods, and we had all our our share and link data from from Basumo. And we put it together, and we did it then as a joint report. And, of course, they had a huge audience. So for me, I then had Rand, who's, who's huge and a great guy, going on stage talking about a report that we'd done and talking about research that we'd done. Nothing here is rocket science. The key behind Steve's approach is how he's willing to help for free. He offers influencers free research, free support or free promotion, essentially anything to activate the rule of reciprocity. The rule of reciprocity, by the way, is just a fancy behavioural science term for people who return favours. It's scientifically proven, though, to change behaviour dramatically. We've spoken before on the podcast about how charity donations rise if you purchase someone a can of Coke beforehand, and how strangers will send you Christmas cards for years if you do so first. In fact, survey researchers have discovered that sending a monetary gift of $5 greatly increases the survey completion rates. Perhaps there's no surprises there, but one study cited in Robert Shaladini's book Influence showed that mailing that $5 gift was twice as effective as offering a $50 payment to complete the exact same questionnaire. People are heavily influenced by gestures of kindness, even when compared to traditional forms of payment. Anyway, back to Steve, who explains the golden rule to follow when conducting influencer marketing. What we also knew from the data from Basuma was that if an influencer shares an article, it gets slightly more traction, it gets slightly more shares. If two people share it, it gets slightly more again, three slightly more again. But what we found was if, if more than four influencers shared the same piece of content, it tended to go viral. It tended to have a, an exponential leap. And whether that's, we didn't know why that was the case. That could be the case because people just saw two or three or four influencers sharing it and think it must be good rather than just one. So we then set ourselves a really simple target. Every time we wrote a blog post, we wanted at least five influencers to share it. And the way to do that is to get them involved before you've even written the article. So I would mail them saying, I'm writing an article on this, or look, I've done some research, and the data seems to show X or Y. What do you think? Um, And some of them didn't have time to come back, but some of them came back. And then I would actually sometimes incorporate their view in the content. And then when I published it, I'd say, that piece of research, I'm, I'm publishing it tomorrow. And so 
then they shared it. And then we found we have four or five people at least sharing our content. And that just grew the awareness. And literally, I think after the first year, we, we went past 100,000 uh, users. Um, and it was all based on free marketing. We didn't, I say we didn't pay for anything. Getting four or five influencers to share the content generated a huge amount of exposure for BuzzSumo. As Steve said, they grew to 100,000 users within the first year, with influencer marketing being their only marketing awareness tactic. In recent years, BuzzSumo content has been seen by millions of marketers simply by reusing that same golden rule, get four or five messengers to share your content first. But circling right back to Joseph's book, I asked what made Steve's influencers so convincing. I think it, it varies from influencer to influencer. So I think for influencers like Rand, I think there's quite a degree of trust. I think he's a very open, straightforward guy. Um, and so I think that there's an openness and a transparency to Rand that he's not going to recommend something he doesn't like. I think you can trust him where they get something wrong. He would say, look, we got this wrong. Um, so I think somebody like Rand, he's also charismatic all the people tend to be charismatic he's a charismatic nice guy but there's a, a large degree of trust there that combination of trust and charisma two of the key traits mentioned in joseph's book clearly influenced buzzsumo's audience helping them achieve 2.5 million dollars in revenue in their first year and grow a business that now boasts customers like ibm expedia buzzfeed and yahoo that's all from Joseph and Steve, but if you'd like to read more about BuzzSumo's influencer marketing strategy, I've linked to a blog in the show notes written by Steve, which explains their work in more detail. And if you'd like to purchase a copy of Joseph's book, Messenger, you can do so using a link in the show notes as well. It's just £10 on Amazon if you have a Kindle, and it's a bloody great book to help understand what makes Messengers convincing. In this episode, we've explained how certain messengers can convince us if they have certain characteristic traits. We've learnt how showing warmth can increase the amount of favours you get from colleagues, how signalling vulnerability can help you skip the security line at an airport, and why charisma makes a TED Talk more successful. We then heard about BuzzSumo and how it achieved incredible growth without spending a penny on advertising, but instead, they found the right messengers and spent the right amount of time convincing them to promote their product. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Nudge, please go ahead and leave us a review. We're just starting out and every review really does help. And if you want to make sure you never miss an episode, follow us on Twitter at Nudge Podcast. That way you can see every single time a new show goes live. That's all from me today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nudge. Nudge.